And welcome to Lily High on Life with a wonderful new guest in our station today. I want to introduce you all to Laura Hamilton. I've asked Laura to come in and be a guest on my show because she's had the most exciting and amazing career. She's a very talented singer and artist. And then she's also gone into other areas of theatre and entertainment and is living an amazing life that just showcases so many other aspects of life that are separate to your work, separate to your family. Life is worth living and she's the epitome of that. Laura, welcome to Lily High on Life. Thank you, Lily. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. You know, when I first met you, I was so impressed by your voice, so impressed by the way you sing. But then when I started talking to you and heard about what you'd done and what you're doing now, it was even more impressive. Um, thank you, Lily. I've never thought that I've been very good with words or speaking. Um, in fact, um, I'm more likely to break out into a song at any given time to express the emotion I'm feeling than to actually put a sentence together. And I know people come to our house and they go, do you have to sing everything? I like, love that. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And so one of the things that you took up uh, later in life is sailing. Oh, yes. Sailing is a, it just gives me such a sense of freedom. I remember back in my early 20s, I one of the things I used to do two things I used to ride horses and I used to go out sailing on my best friend's father's yacht and it just provided the most oh the just the wind in your hair and the waves on the front of the boat and this wonderful feeling of capturing the elements and in fact what I um I say to people all the time when I come into the club after we've been sailing, there is a sailor's smile. And it is what, like the wide-mouth frog smile. It's just this, <laughs> like it's absolute joy from just, I did it. I mastered the elements or I harnessed, not even mastered, but I harnessed the elements and I'm here to tell a story. It it really is just um, and it's, yes, invigorating. It's, it's, Invigorating is a great word, but also the feeling of being out there is different from the feeling of being on land. Very. The, the ground is not stable. Well, of course, it's not <laughs> ground. It's, it's, it's water. And at any given moment, you know, you are off balance and you're working to get your balance back. And then you're trying to put the sails up, you know, all of it. It is. And at moments, it's terrifying. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> and I understand. And I guess one of the reasons that I was so impressed also is because I did try sailing at one time. Not good at it at all. But the reason I wanted to do it is just because of that feeling of peace and serenity when you're actually out there on a gorgeous clear day. Oh, like we did, um, we recently did, we went down to Flinders and we went out through the heads and it's very different going out into the ocean than it is 
being in the bay because there's a swell. And um, I remember we were just sailing along and we were with the fleet. So there was quite a few boats and looking over to my right and to my left. And as the swell was happening, the boats on my right were up very, very high, you know, so they were, it was like they were on the top of the hill. And then that swell would go down. And then the next minute we would be up on the top and the boats would, Gosh. Be, you know, and this whole movement was happening. And it's just a vista that you do not get on land. And it's, it is an extraordinary experience. And when you're on the boat and you look over at someone else on the boat, what you see them doing is not how you feel when you're on the boat. Like you have this vision of, of there they are and it looks so serene and so peaceful. Yet if you're on the boat and you're racing, you're actually working and thinking and contemplating and where are we going next? What's the tide doing? What's that? The wind has just changed. Oh, pull the sail in. So you're constantly thinking, thinking, yet you look over there and it looks like nothing's happening. And it's not like you just decided, yes, I like sailing and hopped into a boat. You, there was a huge learning, steep learning curve there was. to be able to do it properly. There was. We, um, um, First of all, we started, we went down to Sandringham Yacht Club. And I, I want to talk about this because not a lot of people think that sailing is something you can take up later in life. And mm-hmm. I, I know definitely my, my partner, Tim, he's like, oh, we can't go sailing. That's, you've got to have done it all your life. And um, so we went and did the day discovering uh, discover sailing down at Sandringham. And we had this fantastic young guy. I mean, Tim and I are both in our 50s. And we've got and this. looking wonderful. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. I'm very fit, um, but uh, so he um, was in, in his early twenties, I think. And of course, he's running around the boat. He knows what's going on, and it was just just fantastic. And Tim loves to drive fast, so I just I thought he would really enjoy sailing. And we, he came back from that experience that day and said, I want to learn sailing. So that took us on the journey. So we went, we had to find a class we could do on Sundays because all our other days were full. And the Royal Melbourne Yacht Squadron in St Kilda was the only place that had uh, sailing lessons on the Sunday or a time slot that suited us. So we went through the crewing, um, the crewing, and then we went through helming, and then we went through navigation and mastering the um, radio, so the radio course, um, to be able to. And it took us uh, to close to 12 months. And um, So it was a real commitment. Oh, a real commitment. Com- and, and then we would go out in between on yachts with people at the yacht club who just wanted crew to come out and help them and so we just sort of we'd have our lessons and we'd go out on someone else's boat and the yachties are a very very friendly community they're so willing to help you they seem to be i've been to a couple of events they've put on and there's certainly a lot of fun comedy nights and things but then you do something else which is completely different and also huge fun Mm. And you not only do it, but you teach it. Yes, I and do. And that's Zumba dancing. I do. I um, <laughs> There's a story that goes with that. I, um, My daughter decided she wanted to, because um, she's also in the performing arts. So in the performing arts, you learn sing dance. You learn to sing, dance and act. Um, so, but the dancing is very hard and you have to actually physically keep your, your skill levels up. So it is, some, same with singing, something you have to do constantly 
So she said, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a form of exercise that incorporated dance that we could share the fitness component of it with people who aren't um, studying performing arts. So they haven't made a choice, oh, I'm going to be a dancer, or they haven't made those choices, but to experience the feel and the groove and just being... To have fun with music. To have fun with music. And um, Zumba wasn't in Australia, and we found it on the internet. And Dominique said to me, Mum, I think I want to be a Zumba instructor. And she said, will you help me? Because if I have to go and do an audition, I need someone to cover my class. So the two of us went along and we got trained. Um, we finished our Zumba instructors course. So we're now both... Over in the States? No, no, no. They came here. Oh, wow. They were introducing it to Australia. So this... What's the date? Is it this... On the 9th of November is my 10th year anniversary of teaching. Two days. Yeah, of being 10 years in Australia. So uh, we both qualified and we actually introduced, I remember Dominique and I getting all the marketing and going around to the gyms and introducing Zumba to the gyms in Australia. So um, that was quite an exercise. And then she got into shows and took off touring and I took over her classes. You got stuck with the classes. (laughs) Well, I did get stuck with them, but... It's a fantastic form of exercise. It was a joy. And, and my ladies say to me, one of my ladies said to me, Laura, what do you do for fun? And I said, <laughs> I do Zumba. She goes, no, 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 that's a job. And I said, um, no, I would choose to do this even if I wasn't deriving an income from it. But um, the, first, the first year after I had finished, uh, the first year of teaching, it was Christmas, and I remember this distinctly. I had a classroom full of adults and um they were all i stopped instructing because you you lead i stopped and the whole class was dancing i mean seriously (laughs) dancing and smiling and sweating and connecting with each other and i cried because it was like the fundamental difference between performing on stage and instructing a zumba class is that i dance with everyone I love it. And really, that's part of what Lily High on Life mm. is all about. Mm. There is no line between work and play. Mm. You just get paid for what you love to do. And um, you can keep calling it work, but that's not what it's all about. This is J-Air 87.8 FM, the new voice of Melbourne, serving the Jewish community. That's 87.8 FM and online at j-air.com.au. And, you know, even I'm assuming that even with your singing and acting that it was the same way. There is no line between work and play because you need to really love and enjoy what you're doing. So just before we talk about Mm -hmm. um, what your real talent started as, uh, let's listen to you um, as you uh, let's hear you actually performing. We make our home 
your growth It is merely our center of operation For we are incurably given to growth One of the girls suddenly misses her world of pearls. Then the family will say, it's that horrible cat. Was it Mongol Jerry? Or a teaser? And most of the time, they leave it at that. Potatoes and greens And the cook will appear from behind the scenes And say in a voice that is broken with sorrow I'm afraid you must wait and have dinner tomorrow But the joint is gone from the oven like that Then the family will say It's that horrible cat Or was it Mongo Jerry Or a teaser And most of the time They leave it at that Mongo Jerry and Rumpel have a wonderful way of working together And some of the time you would say it was luck And some of the time you would say it was weather We go through the house like a hurricane And no sober person can take his own Was it Mungo Jerry? A loud ping from a vase, which is commonly said to be mean. Then the family will say, Now, which was which hat? It was Mongol Jerry and Rapunzel. So much fun, and I was there opening night in Sydney. But tell us about uh, about your role in this. So this was from Cats. It's from the um, Australian cast recording, and my partner in crime in that was Gary Ginevan. So we just heard Gary sing and myself, and it was Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser. We were the acrobatic cats, the Bonnie and Clyde characters, um, and so we just actually spent the entire production getting up to mischief and how so l- how long was that how long was that run for you two years 
It was, what was that like every year, every year? Because we, lo- as an audience, we love being there. But I can't imagine doing it every day for two years. That must be just bliss. It's bliss. It was absolutely bliss because it was a joyful show. Like um, I also did Les Miserables, and as you know, Les Miserables is a very heavy, a heavy story. It has, um, you know, it's beautiful story, but it's miserable as well. Um, and. I also did that production for 18 months and how I felt at the end of the evening was always, oh, just anguish. I would feel anguish inside me. Yet when I finished Cats, I was always on a high. So very different emotions. Yeah, so let's just talk about Les Miserables as well because you were the first Australian to be discovered here in Australia and taken taken to London to perform in Les Mis. Tell us about that experience and how it all came about. Well, Les Mis for me was at the end of Cats. So I did Cats from 1985 to 87 and Cameron McIntosh who, of course, is now Sir Cameron McIntosh, um, ventured into Australia very soon after Evita, which I was performing in, which was Andrew Lloyd Webber's production over here. Um, and he produced his first production here in Australia, which was Oliver, um, which toured Sydney. It didn't actually make it to Sydney. It did Melbourne and Adelaide. But I think it was during that time that Cameron went, oh, there's absolutely a market here at like a musical theatre market in Australia and of course back then we didn't have the internet we didn't have mobile phones we we had we didn't have anything like that it was three television stations and a handful of I think there were only one or two even talkback radio stations yeah and I remember being in London and um, wanting to call home and having to book it with the operator oh my god and it costing <laughs> A fortune, you know. Like I would, I'd write. I wrote letters back then. I'd write the letter and I'd send it. And by the time my parents got it, it was old news. And by the time they'd written it back, it was oh, it was it was it was it was tricky back then. But what I was going to say was, um, Cameron, um, I was doing Cats at the time, and Cameron spoke to me about this musical that they had in London, and he thought that I was perfect for one of the roles, and so he sent all the score um, and libretto in advance because, of course, there's no script for Les Mis. It's a libretto, no spoken word in the show. And he um, asked me to learn the parts. So they came out here and auditioned for it, and he said to me, "Um, Laura, you've got a British passport. I said, I do. He said, I'd like... (laughs) He said, well, that means you can work in London. I'd like you to play this role on the West End. And I, I was like, excuse me? He said, I can only imagine. <laughs> Do you recall that moment? I, for a long time, I didn't believe it. And it's, you don't, I was like, what? I'm, I'm going to London. I think that, that because we hadn't seen the show, you know, it's not like nowadays you can pretty much Google anything. Somebody says, oh, you've got to, you've got to learn this song. Or you've got to do that. Or this show's coming or that show's coming. You can Google and find or see a snippet of it or watch something. I had no idea what this production was going to look like because it was live. You couldn't record them back then. And um, so it was playing in New York. And I I flew through New York to London and Cameron said to me, stop and see the show. 
there as my guest. And I think I'm sitting in the show, I'm sitting there in the theatre and I've got tears running down my face. I'm in disbelief that I am going to be performing in that production on that scale. I mean, it's a very long show and it was extraordinary. Like, it was just extraordinary and... And you got to meet the cast and talk to them I about did. about did. what it was like and the, the production. So by the time you got to London, you were ready for it. Oh, I, I don't know if I was ready for it. It's always, um, it's, it's scary. I had never been a cast uh, replacement before because uh, my experience had been the shows would come to Australia you would audition you would be the original cast the show would get up and running um, and it might run for 12 months or 18 months and potentially it would close and there wouldn't be cast replacements but as shows started to run longer and Cats was my first experience of that you know we would wear out you couldn't do the show repetitively for long periods of time so you know come up to 12 months or two years and you'd say no I'm not going to renew my contract so that audition and you'd have replacements well that's what I was doing for Les Miserables in London okay so did you go by yourself did yes. your mother nope. friend no nope. you went all on oh, your own no that's not true I went with two other cast members from Cats because um, they wanted to go and experience London. So I went with Michael Cormick, who is now, as you know, a, a, a very well-known you know, musical theatre performer here in Australia, and my girlfriend Nadia. And so we called ourselves the Three Amigos, and <laughs> off we went. Um, and they auditioned very quickly. They got to London, and they auditioned for productions, and, and Nadia went into Cats, and Michael went into Time, and they continued to work in London. And you... Started performing in Les Mis with this cast of people that you didn't know and mm-hmm. hadn't worked with. Mm-hmm. Was it different working in Australia to London? Yes, very different. And I think because the rehearsal period was completely different because I was rehearsing by myself. So I was working with the musical director and the director and the understudies. So they won't let you work with the cast because they're performing at night. So you would run the scenes and do everything with the understudies. And so the only time I really met the full cast was on the Monday afternoon of my first performance wow. on the Monday night. <laughs> so it was terrifying. You know, feel the fear and do it anyway. <laughs> it, really, it really was feel the fear and do it anyway. I almost, after the rehearsal in the afternoon, because you can imagine the whole cast is, when they're not on stage, they went out and they sat in the auditorium and I, I had the big solo. Wow. And they're all just sitting there going, why is there an Australian girl here and not an English person? <laughs> so I was, getting, I was getting a bit of animosity about the fact that, I was cast and wow. an, an English person hadn't been cast. So, and that's normal. Like, it's absolutely normal. It is. It's normal on one hand. On yeah. the other hand, you'd think they'd be welcoming and open because it is such a tough thing to do. It is a tough thing to do. Um, and so, yeah, there was, it was different performing over there. But people are people no matter where they are. And Correct. it's, it's, you, you need to have a higher, um, 
edge of, of, of confidence in yourself to come from love for other people. But I want to ask you, you were saying before that um, when you were doing Cats, you were on a high because mm. it was such a fun high thing. Mm. Did that continue for your days as well? So yes. you'd perform in the day and night and you're just, everything was mm-hmm. good and high. So how does that compare to something like Les Mis where, as you were saying, it's really, really heavy stuff. Uh, is How do you deal with the emotion and keeping yourself in a really good place? Because you're a naturally very positive, wonderful person. I'm naturally buoyant and I, um, I choose to be that way. You yes. know, I consciously, if, I've, if I'm troubled or disturbed, and I, and I call it troubled and disturbed, if there's something going on for me, I will sit with it and I will ask myself questions why 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 i'll write about it i'll journal about it and i will try and i will do the best that i can to change my thought press process to come from a place of gratitude yes because if i'm in gratitude i am generating um regenerative of course. Uh, cells in my body. And you know, the why doesn't really matter why because you can have 10 reasons that yeah. all sound good yeah. and you pick and choose one, but it doesn't matter because they're all as good as each other. It's more about putting yourself into that good mm, place mm, mm. of gratitude, mm. of appreciation even more than that. Yeah. And finding something to focus on that is good and that is positive. And did you find that you had to do that a lot when you first got to London and started playing the role? Um, no, I... I there was I, a joy of there being was, there. there. Was, oh, there was just this joy of discovery and joy of discovery covering Trafalgar Square and just the city and just just being in London like I was only 22 and it was just this extraordinary experience and you know I remember cobblestones for the first time like walking <laughs> and thinking oh there goes the high heels I can't I can't wear high heels in London I, I had to take a spare set of shoes change into my flat shoes for walking around the cobblestones and um you know and just being Going, oh my gosh, this is where my fair lady was filmed. You know, and, and London's amazing like that. Just the antiquities. It was that we don't have here in Australia. Yeah. We yeah. just don't have anything that old. So it was, there was the excitement of that. I was performing on the West End. I was. Doesn't get much better no, than that. You know, I was, I was running into. Uh, every day, Andrew Lloyd Webber and um, Cameron McIntosh and working on the West End, you would have world-class actors. Jane Seymour might be in the front row or Dustin. There was one night (laughs) Dustin Hoffman was in the front row. You know, and then just what you're exposed to over over there. there. I'm going to ask you about that in just a minute. Um, We're always looking for people with an interest in radio either presenting your own show or being on the technical side. Become a volunteer now. Head to our website at j-air.com.au. Follow the Get Involved link and click on Become a Volunteer Now. So 
I want to ask you about the uh, about that. You were not just performing in the West End, but you were also mixing with people that you knew well that were celebrities and that had accomplished mm. amazing things in entertainment. And I'm assuming that you were also being written about in the tabloids and in the regular newspapers. What was all of that. Talk a little bit about that whole celebrity thing and how it felt then and what you think now in hindsight. I remember doing lots of interviews and I remember reading one of the interviews afterwards and um, it changing me because I was asked a question and I was devastated by what I read because I was like, oh, did I really say that? Um, I was asked the question and they said to me, Laura, what do you miss about Australia? And I said, I miss the sunshine and the smiling faces, is what I said. And the article said, on the whole, Laura finds London very gloomy and the Londoners down. And I was like, I didn't didn't say that. (laughs) I actually didn't say that and it's not what I meant. Yes. But in my experience, because it was cold and everyone was rugged up and, the, you know, they're keeping themselves away from the rain, they their experience of life is very different to what we have in our climate. And, and our climate informs our state very yeah. much so. You know, like we can't wait to get, you know, for the summer to happen and you know, your hair to be out and the top to be down on the car and just just the, the so the way they took your words, which is a lot of what Lily High on Life is about as well, mm. because um, it's th- anything can mm. be interpreted mm. in so many ways. Mm. So what you said mm. came from a place of joy. The person writing it mm. was not in that state of joy. So they actually said what you said in their words in. Their their perspective and perspective is everything change your attitude change your life Mm, and it was there in print and i was i was like oh i mean i have to be really careful really mindful about how i phrase things now um so So 22 was a bit devastating for you no not devastating was an eye-opener yeah like definitely an eye-opener and i was like oh gosh i'm my words are in print we have to be really careful words matter words matter you know and even now like when we think about it now and the the, all our young people everything is online and everything on is up there in print and it can't be taken back and it's said and it's done and um and that's often especially with um you know the internet and the younger people living in a cyber world and having a cyber identity because it's out in that world. It's not this world. It's out in that world. Yes. Um, it, it's That was my first um, taste of something going beyond me. Right. And that's also why I started the mm, program mm, the mm. way I did because mm. – Normal people doing normal things Mm. that just make them happy is really what life's all about. Mm. You were just really fortunate Mm. to be in a profession Mm. where it just made you happy every day, the fact that you were able to perform and that you gave so much pleasure. Mm. We are storytellers. You know, at the end of the day, it's called a play. 
Yes. And um, when I uh, I tutored at the College of the Arts and um, for a long time. And my catchphrase all the time was, it's play, guys. Come on, we're playing, we're playing, we're playing. It's a play. We have to, we will discover through play, you know, and it, and, and it doesn't matter if you're on the ground and you're in tears and you're here. You're, it's not really happening to you. You yeah. are playing, but you still are accessing that part of you because it's where emotional gladiators. It is our job and it's always been our job to take people beyond their comfort zone, whether that be to a joyful place, you know, they find themselves laughing or to their heart just torn apart, you know, just like, oh, but, you know, because live theatre, there's an energy between the performer and the audience. Of course, you've got the orchestra in the middle if, you're, if it's not, you know, if it's musical theatre, mm-hmm. but it's visceral. You know, like I know when the audience is not in the palm of my hands when I've lost them and I have to work. So you're totally alive all the time and feeling. It's it's a feeling energetic thing. You know, one of the questions I used to get asked all the time, what's the difference between live performance and film? That's the fundamental difference is that everyone in that room, they're literally uh, coherent. We're all experiencing that emotion at the same time you know when someone feels something that it emanates to the person next to them and then the next like a ripple in a pond and then the whole room where there's 2,000 people or 4,000 people that's happening in the moment and so what advice did you give your daughter because you have a daughter who's also very talented and went right and went into the same profession as you did um, pretty much the same thing. Like she plays. She's a really playful child. I remember very. Um, she never was allowed to watch TV. She grew up watching Disney only. Wow. Only videos at that time. <laughs> DVDs. And no, in fact, they were videos you put in. Then it then it went to DVDs, and I think she started school because I knew I only had the first five years. Yep. And I and and Disney's enchanting. And it and it's really it has it, it colours everything with you know music and and all of those things and I really believe that that's formed her um, her her patterns patterns so you started her off with wonderful magic and wonderful fantasy and she saw you performing as she was growing she up as well yeah. and toured with you yeah. and then she has taken off and and done things also she was Dora the Explorer she was <laughs> and she toured internationally and absolutely loved it and she she did that at a really young age too she uh, was in her 20s She's 30 now, still, I mean, she's heading more now towards film. She, you know, she wants to do film and, and move away from the stage, which is great. Um, but, yes, she loves storytelling too. Like, I want to hear more of your <clears throat> more of you performing, but mm. there's still so much more mm. I want to talk to you about. So um, I think I'm going to keep talking to you. Yes. And people can Google you now oh. and hear your other <laughs> okay. performances and um, um, just go through some of the productions you're in so that people can Google Laura Hamilton. Oh, um, the first production I ever did was Evita. So that was, we are talking 78. That's a long time ago. Like, 
you know, I did Evita, I did Oklahoma, I did Sound of Music, I did Cats, I did Les Miserables, I did Hello Dolly. Amazing. Like, you know, the list, it just, it, it goes on. So I toured for... Mm, 25, nearly 30 years. And through all of that, also, there was lots of children's theatre. I love performing for kids. Fabulous. And um, kids just are so instant. You know, they're so instant and so in the moment. And I would sit in my dressing room after the show and watch them out in the car park or, or out in the auditorium. I could see them out of the window of the dressing room. And they would just be taking on all the characters, like literally telling the story to their parents and embodying everything we had just done on stage because you just give them permission to do all of that and um so in the little time we've got left i'd love you to talk to us about transitioning into some of the other areas outside of performing and your growth in your current company as Mm. well which Mm. is very important Mm. i remember the transition i was um i was playing the cricket, Jiminy Cricket. I was playing Jiminy Cricket at the Arts Centre in Hamer, at Hamer Hall and um, a film producer who was going to be the director on The Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe came to see the production and requested that I audition for the production. So I spoke to my agent and said, we'd like to see Laura for this role. Um, when I got into the rehearse, got, got into the audition and they were working, workshopping with me and they told me that the character was nine years old. And at that time I was 40. And I, I, I went, oh, I am very humbled by the fact that you think I could play a nine-year-old. But this is a national touring production it's not for children. And I said, I'm 40. And I said, and, and I know what, um, I can be tired, I can get tired now. And keeping up nine-year-old energy, which is a different energy to to um, of course to an adult energy. I'm just like, I'm not sure if I can, I can do that for two years. And I said, I'm really not sure if the press will be kind to me either. You know, um, I'd really rather not do it. And um, they're like, what? <laughs> I said, no, um, if it's okay, I'm, I'm going to decline. And it really is okay. Yeah. yeah. And so what happened was the producer called me the next day and said, um, the director's enjoying working with you. Would you mind coming in and reading at the auditions opposite the other actors? So I, I came in. I had so much fun because I got to play all the characters. So... The, the thing that I am fundamentally is that playful being. I'm like the professor and then I'm the, uh, the you know, the witch and then I'm so and I had a ball that entire week. And then the director said to me, I would like you to be the resident director on the production. I love how things show up at the right time. <laughs> so that was the beginning of me transitioning um, uh, over to being the coach fundamentally out on tour. Um, and then attached to that was a company manager position. So I was really taking care of the company. And, of course, um, I, my, I was really handheld as company manager. I was kind of like the token company manager on that tour because it was a small company. But that's where I started to learn the business side of what it takes 
to run a musical. And like did it you really love is it or show find it, business. Did you find it interesting or did you love it? Oh, I found it. It was absolutely fascinating to understand departments and it's something I had never ventured into. So the corporate side. Um, so, you know, payroll and things like that were all a bit uh, help um, because that was, but I did. I was very supported um, and I grew. And I grew as time went on and, you know, um, then I was working, I did the next production as the same resident director and company manager and then the next production I did, I think, was Legally Blonde and I was the deputy general manager for that production. So I really was in the office. Just loved it. In the office and just turning up for opening nights and, you know, and, and, and that would mean anything toward making the trucks deliver the set getting the the floor laid down in the rehearsal rooms getting the water into the rehearsal just every single element that was involved that honestly as a performer I never thought about and also turn it putting you in a different mind space Mm. for what's to come later in your life Mm. as well absolutely um I just saw a wonderful documentary mm. about a woman who started the Gotex swimwear line. Oh, okay. Lost her business and started it again at age 90. <gasps> so, you know, life is not over at 50 or 60 or 70 or 80. Successfully started over again, I Amazing. must say, as well at the age of 90. Um, but just going back, tell us a little bit quickly about the company you have now, the online company. Oh. Um, it, it came about because I would be casting shows, so I'd be on the panel. And um, on the panel, there is off the, the director, the musical director, the, the choreographer, the producers. And you have to, when you're doing musical theatre, you have to be skilled in those three areas. And a lot of the dancers were coming through and falling down in the vocal area. And... And even sometimes some of the actors, you know, straight actors would come in and want to be in musical theatre and they'd have to sing. And they could act absolutely amazingly. But then, you know, what's written for musical theatre is is like, you know, hurdling. It's sometimes it's vocally demanding. And um, and so, but singing lessons were, I asked the, I asked the kids, I said, what's going on? Why aren't you doing this singing? Well, it's really expensive. And I went, oh, okay, how do we solve that? And so Tim and I put our heads together and we created the online course, the online instruction, um, based on a whole lot of the stuff that we had done at the, the, the college. And so there are instructional um, lessons online. It's called vocalalchemy.com.au. And Please spell it out slowly oh. for those people that would like to, okay. uh, to learn how to so sing. It's www. Vocal, V-O-C-A-L, alchemy, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, dot com, dot A-U. And um, we are clients internationally. So it's like, it's streaming. It's like Netflix. So, you know, you log in and (laughs) you subscribe and you get your lessons and you work through them. You can submit uh, recordings of yourself for feedback. And now... um, Tim, Tim will take clients. He at any given time he could be teaching in Korea. Like he says to me, I'm off to. He's teaching. 
Who's he teaching at the moment? He's teaching a Turkish person who's living in Scandinavia, and I he does that via that. Skype. You I know, love so it. he Skypes, calls Tim, and he has his hour lesson online. And yes, so and he's got he's now teaching um, um, Maggie in Ireland. Oh wow! Yes, we have a mutual friend in Ireland. Yes. Laura, you have been absolutely wonderful and delightful, <laughs> and our time is up, oh. but would love to continue where, as when we go home, mm. when we go for coffee. Mm. So thank you very, very oh, much it's been my for pleasure. being on Lily thank you. High on Life.